Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that she went out of your way to not just talk to us, but to write to us, that it's forever captured here for us to hear your teachings, to hear your truth. I pray that your word, that you say you hold higher than your name, would have its way here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Until we get that fixed, I'm going to do the... the, thing there. Listen to this. Here we go. The church today that we're looking at is the church of Smyrna. If you look at the churches that we looked at, just before I, I read this, we looked initially a couple of weeks ago at Ephesus, which is the first and biggest place. And if, it, if you were to say, what kind of church, what was the tone or the vibe of that church and the letter that Jesus wrote? It was the church that got the point, but missed the love. Like if you're running around screaming at everybody saying holiness, holiness, and you're yelling at everybody and saying, you know, theology, theology, and you, you miss the love, love, you got the point and you miss the person. That's not the church that Jesus came to establish. And he says to them, I love you. I love the fact that you can tell somebody who has bad theology, who's false apostles and all of these different things. But the truth is, is that you got the point and you missed the person. You've forgotten the fact that God is love and that you do this for the purpose of love and you do it to somebody in love. And how many people are not in church today because they got the point stabbed into them of church and they missed the person of love in Jesus. And so there's some great takeaways there. We, a few weeks back, talked about the Church of Philadelphia. And Church of Philadelphia, like the one that we're going to cover today, Smyrna, are the only two that never get corrected by Jesus. Now that can mean one of two things. Either one, they really had things going well, or two, Jesus is really good with timing and he knows that there's a time not to bring up what's wrong with somebody, and that's in the middle of suffering. I think it was probably a combination of both, because only God's perfect, but God knows how to commend his children and speak to them. And today, Smyrna, I would propose to you, is the church that had a theology of suffering. And that's what I want to talk with you here as I read through the letter, coming from the ESV, starting at Chapter 2, verse 8, Revelation. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you are rich. And I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is God's word. 
when you look at these, uh, the, I love the churches in Revelation because they're pretty straightforward. You know, if the shoe fits, wear it. I don't know what the letter would be that Jesus would write to us. I kind of have an idea. And I, I would pluck from a lot of these. I think Philadelphia describes us very, very well. I feel that we are healthy. We are a safe church. There's always more that could be done. I feel like we're kind of growing and learning. But I also hear some of the things from the other churches, like, like hey, you got to be about the love of God. Don't just be about the doctrine of God. Don't just be about the holiness of God. You need to be about the redemption that Jesus brings when you're speaking to someone's life. And, and the other churches, they all have these different mixes in them. So it's good to grab it. But when these churches are all located in the country of what we know today as Turkey, and it used to be called Anatolia or Asia Minor, but the, it was back in the Old Testament, the land of the Hittites. The key cities uh, in this place, when the Romans were coming to power at the t a little bit before the time of Jesus, they had a decision to make. They were much closer to Rome than, than Israel was. They were much closer than other places of the world. And they said, listen, Alexander the Great came ripping through here. We fought, we lost. Let's, let's do it this differently this time. And many of these cities offered themselves to Rome and they said, we don't want to fight you. We want to merge with you. And so because of this, they, they decided they were going, in fact, these people never referred to themselves as Hittites. They never referred to themselves as uh, Anatolians. They referred and write to themselves as Romans because they were part of the Roman world. And the key cities established emperor worship to show loyalty. And this church of Smyrna is one of them. Now, emperor worship just when you thought there wasn't something more to worship, you could go through all the Greek gods. And really the Romans, their specialty was ruling, governing, and reigning. But they weren't creative when it came to gods. So they basically took all the Greek gods, translated their names into Latin, and said, that looks good, let's take that. that that's kind of, you ever see something that somebody did and you're like, I don't have to reinvent the wheel, let's just grab that. And that's what they did with their gods. In fact, um, um, the goddess at Ephesus, uh, Artemis, was the goddess Diana, which happens to be my wife's name. My wife is, uh, she's a humble woman, but I'm taking her out on a date tonight, too. We're going, we're going on a date, baby. Yeah. I even saw there were some extra flowers left over from, from baby dedication, and I'm going to change the wrapping and get those to you, but... Uh, we, we do lots of dates where it's usually revolved around food, and, uh, but we, we talk through stuff, we, we take time out, and um, there's always room for more of that, but that's a good thing to do. But these, they would just take these goddesses and gods and they would merge it in, but there was something different from everything that we knew about the Romans, and it was this, is when Rome really came into power at this time, it was Augustus Caesar, the Caesar right before Jesus's uh, birth and into the time of Jesus's birth. And when he was becoming the Roman emperor and he did it by war, he, he won the battle and he stepped in. And at that time, Halley's Comet was going across the sky. And when Halley's Comet was going across the sky, it, it appeared to him, he said, you know, it's good that I won militarily, but it's also better if I could kind of legitimize what I do with divine power. And so he points up 
to the Senate and he points to the sky and he sees Halley's Comet and he says, that is the soul of Julius Caesar becoming a god. And this began emperor worship, where in order for you to be a part of the Roman Empire, you could worship whatever god you wanted to. But for loyalty's sake, you had to worship the emperor. And ironically, every time you said Jesus is Lord, you were saying to the Roman Empire, and you, Caesar, are not, which was punishable by death. You see, when we talk about persecution in the early church, and we talk about persecution in our life, it's really relative to our circumstances because for them to be a follower of Christ, they were really putting their life on the line. And they'd just be like, just offer some incense to the emperor and go on and continue worshiping Jesus. No, we couldn't do that. I'm sorry, we can't. And because of this, this is one of the biggest reasons why the church is persecuted. Now, this church is persecuted not only by the empire of Rome in Smyrna, but they're also persecuted by Jewish followers who would not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they were getting beat up in the religious world as much as they were getting beat up in the secular world. And their life was constantly on the line, constantly. In fact, Smyrna went out of its way to do something that no other city here did. They put up a a, a temple to the god Rome, to the goddess Roma, which was only worshiped in Rome. And it was a statement to, to basically say, we are so loyal to Rome and to the emperor that we believe that we are as loyal as Rome itself. There, Roma wasn't like, you, you don't see this, this goddess, it was the goddess of the city and the establishment of the city for, for that place alone. And you don't travel around the world and see temples to this goddess, but you do see them in two places, in Smyrna, and you see it in Rome itself. So this was a radical alignment. And so Jesus says, I gotta, I gotta write letters to these churches. And you know, if you'll see a pattern that forms over and over again in each of them, Jesus will say, this is the words of him who, and then he'll go on and he'll say, I know that you, he'll start to, to comfort the churches and commend them. And then he'll transition here and go in and he'll say, but, I have this against you, and he'll start to correct the church. And then he'll go on and he'll throw a lifeline and he'll say, listen, you don't have to stay in the state of of judgment or fear what I am saying could happen here. If you're willing to make a literal behavioral change in your life, not a mental change, not a weeping change, but a behavioral change in your life, that I will, to the one that overcomes, I'll do this for them and I'll do that for them. And what's interesting is this Smyrna gets it's none of the but this, but that. He, he does nothing but speaks to what they face, speaks to who they are, and then commends them and says, this is what I want to do for you if you continue to overcome. You just got to hang in there. You've got to hang in there. And so he starts off, and I just want to kind of go through this letter the way that we would, if we would kind of read it, but kind of get an idea of what what is really being said to the church then and what I think it can mean to us here today. So he says to them, he starts off and he says, to the church 
uh, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now, two things about this. We said the word angel, in fact, angel was up here today, and we were dedicating uh, part of his name, or part of the name of, of, of a couple of these children was angel. And, and that literally means messenger. Now, when you read the word angel, you instantly go to the idea of an angel with wings, and I believe with all of my heart that is real, those are real, but it also can mean somebody who is sent as a messenger. And I think what John is doing here is, is he's, he's, he's writing down what Jesus wants to say to the church, and he's sending it to the messenger. Most likely this is the minister, the lead voice within these communities to say, hey, this is what God wants to say to them, and they're gonna turn around and they're gonna say it to the community. So they come, they come together, they're meeting underground, they're meeting in si secret, in silence, and he says, we've got, we've got a letter here from God that John felt that we need to listen to and hear. So these are human messengers, I think, here in this part. But if you look at the city Smyrna, and you do, for those of my friends here that are Greek scholars, good luck finding the meaning of this name. You won't find it because modern scholarship struggles with it. However, if you go back into some of the ancient lexicons, there's one that dates back to 1050, imagine this, right before the Crusades got rolling somebody wrote a Greek lexicon, somebody that's like, this is important for us to understand what the Bible means in the Greek language because Latin was rolling through the world, French would roll through the world, German would roll through the world. So they, they're, they're, they're deciding, all right, we're, we're a thousand years, they're a thousand years closer to the language when it was, when it was being used. In, and so they wrote together this lexicon. And in this lexicon, and it's in the footnotes there that are at 6.5. Somebody said to me once when I did this, these, these notes here, they, said, they looked at me and they pointed to it and they said, really? Seriously? But um, if you get them online, uh, if you're online in, in church there or you want us, we'll set up a way for you to get them online, you can just zoom in on it. It's all there. This would only mean something to about two or three people in this building this morning, but I encourage you to take a look at it. Smyrna is connected to the word myrrh. And what's interesting about myrrh is that it really is reflective of the experience of this church. You see, when they visited Jesus, they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh because it was a precious spice. It was burnt for incense. It was used for burial. It was in high demand and it was highly priced. It was worth a fortune in and of itself. But how they processed this is that you simply go up to a myrrh tree and you slash it with a knife. And then, in time, the tree bleeds out. And as it bleeds out, it begins to harden into these little drops. They call them, listen to this, the tears of myrrh. If this isn't a picture of suffering, I don't know what is. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life where you're just simply trying to grow, and you get slashed and gashed, whether it's something on the outside of your life or something on the inside, and just somebody just comes in and just, just seems to cut you up. Listen, God never wastes a painful experience. God never wastes even evil. He uses it, not that he commissions it, but he uses it to bring out good. You might be here today and you might be one hurting Smyrnan 
individual and you're like, my life is a wreck, I'm bleeding all over the place, I don't know what to do, God can take that from your life like the tears of myrrh and make it something priceless and precious. God never wastes. My fr friend Nick Fittato, who was here recently, always says, God never wastes a crisis. Never, never. And he goes on, he says this, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Jesus is the first and he's the final authority who not only died, but then beat death. Think about this. I want you to think about the worst problem you're facing in your life right now. Don't say it out loud. Don't say the name of somebody next to you. Think about this. Jesus leads this question with, this is the one who is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the first letter and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. I, I bookend everything in between, any word you could ever make, any situation you could ever describe, any pain you could go through. I want you to know that I'm not only the one that is author from beginning to end, but I am the God who no matter how bad your situation you're thinking of is now, it doesn't get worth, worse than death and crucifixion, and it it doesn't get better than somebody that can walk into a dead life and make it live again. That's who, it, so when you're in the middle of crisis and you're in the, the, the middle of that situation, you need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that says, I am the one that can describe every word of every difficulty you go through. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I don't care how dark, how bad, how unjust, how unfair, how twisted, how wrong it is. If I can beat death, we can beat what you're facing together. That's your God. That's what he's saying to the church, and I don't think he's just saying it to the, to the Smyrnans, he's saying it to us. This is who speaks to us now. Jesus has the authority that goes beyond fear and grave. Smyrna's church persecution was intense. And Jesus let them remedy that problem by reminding them that he is immense. You know, we go through life and sometimes we just kind of like, people say this all the time, devil's just attacking me. Devil's, devil's attacking me. Now listen, I'm not making light of that because the devil, guess what? If you've made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, if you've said, God, I need to know you're real, and God, God, here's my life, and I surrender it to you, and you receive his grace, and you receive his blessing. That makes the devil want to vomit. You know what it does? He slaps another target up on your life, on those that you love, and if you think there's any plan that you can live your life in such a way that the devil leaves you alone, you are insane. You're crazy. In fact, the worst plan is to say, I'm not gonna throw myself deep enough into the things of God so that the devil leaves me alone. And he's just gonna save the shot for you. You're gonna be, you're a standing target. He can come back to you later. There's a bunch of us running around with the bulletproof blood of Jesus Christ and he's trying to get us, but, but you're just like a sitting target and he's, he's like, I could, there is no plan that will keep the devil from, so I know that sometimes we, we do a thing I think this is very indicative of the last couple of generations. My generation, Gen X, does it all the way up through every other generation in between. It's called catastrophizing. 
We either want, and this is social media, right? We either want to be a part of the 1% at the top, experiencing the best of the best, or we want to identify with the 1% at the bottom and the worst of the worst. And there's this whole spectrum in between that we're, it's like one problem comes, it's like, oh, the devil is just trying to destroy my life. You know, your tire goes flat. Oh, it's an attack from the enemy. It's just life. It's your tire. It's a nail. It's okay. And then there's the other area where we want to blame the devil for everything, but the truth of the matter is, is what we're dealing with is sometimes consequences of our own poor decision-making. My teacher's persecuting me. No, you didn't, you didn't meet the deadlines. <laughs> My boss is persecuting. We could go in a thousand different directions with this. But the truth of the matter is, is that you have to, this is, this is the takeaway from this. We have to learn how to reframe our life a little bit. We have to realize, like Don Butera, our missionary that we support in Indonesia, we have to reframe our life to realize that we're not in crisis, we're in Christ. Listen to that again. We are not in crisis, we are in Christ. Which means that when a situation comes your way, you have a choice to make. You can either look at everything that's wrong, everything, and, and respond in fear, or respond in, in, and just say, the worst is gonna happen, or you could respond in faith and say, no, I'm in Christ, and he works everything together for good. Not everything is just a, a, a difficult situation where it's all gonna fall apart. We need to stop uh, catastrophizing things. Listen, anxiety is subjective. When Joel Charest, our missionary, was up here and his wife was up here last week, he told you about people whose villages were burnt because they came to Christ. He told you about a man who was estranged from his family for five years because he became a Christian and his wife and his community wanted nothing to do with him. When we had Pastor Wally Mangandal, my friend here, who was in death row in Saudi Arabia that was to have his head cut off from him because he was preaching and teaching the gospel. We, we've seen and we know personally and we've heard in this church examples of what a church like Smyrna looks like. And we can look at that and we have a couple of choices. Some of us respond like this. We have a bad day and we just say, you know what, I just need to shut up and stop complaining because people have it much worse than me. How many of you are that kind of person, right? You know? Uh, you know, you, uh, kids crying and, and, and they're, they're going through their candy bag and they're crying. And they're like, I didn't get any Kit Kats. It could be worse. You could have gotten no candy. Doesn't matter for that kid. The reality is, is they wanted a Kit Kat. They don't have one. That's reality. Like sometimes suck it up just doesn't work. It's a very subjective thing. There are others of us that we just, we, we take that little wound and we just nurse it, and we're like, oh, it's so bad, I'm hurting so much, you don't understand, you're persecuting me, you know, and it's like, you know, I just said for you to be on time, that's all I ask, you know, you don't understand, that hurts my feelings, and some of us are so anxiety-driven that we're in the opposite direction where we shut down. We become passive aggressive. And to be honest with you, that's a form of pride. Everyone needs to shift. In this world that we live in, it's an era of anxiety. We need a shift. 
Jesus is first and he is last. He is alpha. He is omega. He is beginning. He is end. Build a bridge and get over it. Deal with it. Or I remember this. My, one of the professors at, uh, at North Point Bible College when I was teaching there, he was also he was a fourth degree Kodokan Judo master. And so for about five years, I worked with him with students and he would teach me stuff and we would teach them and I had experience in different martial arts and so it was really cool, really great martial art. I remember I went up to him and I was just like, he's like, Paul, what's the matter? And I'm like, um, you know, I'm just struggling right now. I'm really frustrated and I just let it go and he goes up to me and he goes, pats me on the back, he goes, oh, okay, let's go to class now and let's, let's work some, let's do let's have some good time with some judo here with these students, let's do it. Oh, do you really wanna live your life by pity? Or do you wanna just like, what if we just threw away this age of anxiety and pity and, and, and also the false remedy of just saying, well, other people have it worse. I mean, however you need to move forward. The church of Smyrna, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm gonna give you some info. If you take this to heart, you'll move forward. I am the first and the last, the one who died and now lives. And I want you to know something else. I know your afflictions and your poverty. You know, it's amazing about this church, fact. One of three of the wealthiest churches in that entire part of the world. Uh, the cities, sorry, I said church. One of the richest cities in that part of the world. But guess what? The church was broke. He says, I know your afflictions and I know your poverty, but he's saying to them, you don't get it, you're rich. In the city of Smyrna, they had this whole underground network where all of the riches and these doors would walk into these gigantic vaults of wealth. It was just insane. Listen, I think this is Jesus' way of saying to us here this morning, I know you have limitations. Do you know what's amazing about us right now? We are a middle-sized church. Do you know what that means for us? It means that we're too small to be big and too big to be small, but that we have an entire parking lot that we need to replace, but we don't have the ability to do it quite yet. We have missionaries that call up on a regular basis that want us and are begging us to, we had to create a system for our missionaries. We realize these guys need help, but if we take them on and put them on the back of the wall, we, we take them for life and they're worthy of it. But we have a system where we keep a queue of missionaries that if window opens up, we take them on. Or if, if, if things increase, we take them on. But then we had several missionaries who were like, we are so sorry, we can't take you on. But here is a check for five, excuse me, for $500, or here's a check for $1,000, we just wanna say we're with you. We could do that because of, of what we bring in for missions, but there, that we're at this place where we're in this kind of in-between, but this church was more broke than you could imagine. I mean, we're blessed. We have so many things and so many people that we're doing, we're in that in-between, but it was nothing like this. Why were they so poor if they were in such a rich area. It's because believers who did not conform to the worship of the emperor or participated in idol festivals were thought to be social snobs. And they literally referred to us as atheists. Isn't that weird? So I so say, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, you're an atheist. The reason they called them atheists is because they would not worship the emperor. 
They didn't care what god you worshipped, but if you didn't worship the emperor, you're an atheist. And if you said Jesus is Lord, you were saying indirectly, and you Caesar are not, which was punishable by death. You think it's difficult to serve Jesus in our time? It was so hard for them. They wouldn't participate in that, and they said, you know what? You want to, you, you won't wor- listen, you worship your Jesus, but worship the emperor. This month in this place, we learned about Muslims and, and, and all of the things that I just mentioned, but Jesus points out their suffering, and he says to them, and he points out to their poverty, and he's trying to help them see that the reward for living for Jesus Christ, eternal life, matters. Do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Then don't you believe that eternity is real? That heaven is real? That hell is real? Why do we get so stuck Jesus points to their suffering and their poverty, but he's trying to point them past that. And he says, you're rich. Your life is not as bad when you see it through eternal eyes. We need to know that this life is part of the point, but it's not the entire point. What's interesting is the Laodicean church that we'll look at in a few weeks had the opposite problem. Listen to this, they say, I'm rich. I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's, it's a dangerous place to be like, I've arrived. It's a good place to be like, this is difficult. I got some stuff that I need to work through. I, 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 don't, know how to, I don't know how to deal with this. And, and this is where Smyrna's attitude was. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I know about those that slander and say that they are, I know those who slander uh, of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now here's an interesting thing that will make you misread this and this is where language actually matters. First of all, I know about the, the, the word that's used there for, for Satan. In English, we'll use Satan and devil, but sometimes it doesn't catch the point right because it's got a shade of meaning. That word Satan there is actually the word that's used for slander. The, he's calling, I know about the slanderer of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of the slanderer. There's a slanderous synagogue. He's playing on the word. He says they might as well be the devil, but their issue is is that they're devil-like and demonically-like in that they're human beings that are persecuting them so deeply that they're, they're slandering them. I wanna give you a great piece of advice a friend of mine gave me one time years ago, a good missionary. When I was, I, I used, I, I really don't, I, I care what you think about me because I'm your pastor. But when it comes down to people who want to point at me and say what I'm about or say to somebody else what I'm about or say what I stand for or say to somebody else what I stand for, to be honest with you, I really don't care what you think about me. 
And I'll tell you why, because I discovered the truth that the Smyrnans had to discover is that my reputation doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus. If you go, listen, if you go through life and you're a follower of Jesus, people will say all kinds of nonsense about you. And then, have you ever had somebody where it's like you try to explain and then you walk away and it, the situation's even worse? It's like, no, no, let me explain to you what I meant. I know exactly what you mean. Or, yeah, he didn't really mean that. He said this. It's like, seriously, you get to speak for... I didn't know that that ninth gift of the Spirit uh, existed, the discerning of intentions. Listen, who am I to judge another man's servant? But who are you to judge another man's servant? I, 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 I got too many, Smyrnans would say, I got too many problems in my life to be worried about that, but, but there's a real problem here. And, and this church, this group, is slandering the church. You see, in, in the Roman Empire, there were two types of religions, and we get this in our English language. There were licit and illicit, legal and illegal. If you could prove that your religion predated the forming of the Roman Empire, you could worship that god. That's why all the Greek gods got brought into the Roman form of religion. And you, you were good. You could worship it. Judaism predated predated the formation of the Roman Empire. Therefore, they, they allowed them. Now, the Jews created problems in that they, they had a couple of revolts, and I'm not talking about current political issues whatsoever. I'm talking about back in the time of Jesus. I'm going to so just hear what I'm saying. But he, they, they had problems, they had revolts, and Rome got so sick and tired of them, they deported them or whatever, but they still were able to have synagogues. Christians who were not, at first, Jesus was Jewish, and he was, sh he was, the, he was shared by Jewish people, but then when the, the fame of Jesus spread throughout the world, by the time these letters were written, there were more Gentiles who were followers of Jesus than there were Jews that had no connection to Judaism, and so there was what we call the parting of the ways, where all of a sudden you had those that said that Jesus is the Messiah went over here with this group, whether they were Gentile or not, and then you had those who continued to be Jewish people that said, we're Jews and we, we, we believe in a Messiah, but Jesus is not him. And they separated on this area. And in fact, all through history, I'm not going to bore you with writings of, of that time, but I could sit here for, for 20 minutes and read to you early church writers in the city of Smyrna that talk about how bitter and angry and uh, rough the, the Jewish church was, the Jewish synagogue was, to the Christians, handing them over to the Romans to get them in trouble. It was bitter. Have you ever been in a bitter tension with another Christian? I just heard everybody go, hmm, hmm. Because, you know, I'm not supposed to say amen to that, but... Italians have a word, it's called gobados, thick-headed, thick-headed. Uh, here, they had more in common than they had, and, and yet they go out, and that's why I think God refers to them as the synagogue of Satan. They're literally the accusers. They, they, they're creating problems for them. The bitterness is amazing and overwhelming. You always have op opposition if you truly live for the truth. Always. He knows about those that slander us, but then he goes on and he says, do not be afraid about what you'll suffer, for I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Let, let me just say this real quick. Uh, when it comes to right here, 
of what the devil, what the devil's going to do. We see now, we don't see the word Satan, but we see the word devil. And behind this is a completely different word called Diablos. Any of my Espanol friends out there, right? If I call you a Diablo, what does that mean? I'm calling you the devil. So while the synagogue of Satan was really leaning into a play on the word and saying they're acting like the evil one, and he's playing on the leaning of slander, he leans now into the direction of the persecution, and they're going to say, this is downright demonic. Diablo, the devil. John says this in chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming where anyone who kills you will think that you are offering a service to God. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college with one friend in Zimbabwe, Africa, Constantine Marifu, and he graduated from Bible college. He went home and began to preach the gospel and was martyred. It was the first person I ever heard of being killed. I'm like, oh, this thing is happening today? It definitely is throughout the world. Now, here's the funny thing. When you look at Christians, I mean a real follower of Christ, and they're living a godly life, it's kind of like, I don't get why everybody has such a big problem. In fact, there was a man called Pliny the Younger. He was a governor for Rome, and he writes his uncle, who's Pliny the Elder, and he says this about the Christians. Listen to this. It's just worth hearing what they were talking about Christians back in this time. He says, they were in the habit of meeting before it was sunrise, light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ, you remember this song? If you know it, sing it with me. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Oh, sing. All right, that's alternate verses right there. Let's try this one. Kumbaya, my Lord. That's a real song. Some people say kumbaya. You don't know it was a song, but... They would, they would sing these songs where they would do alternate verses, and he's like, and, and they're singing a hymn to Christ as to a God, and they bound themselves to a solid oath. Listen to what they, they said. Not to do any wicked deeds, but to commit, not to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor to deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and reassemble and partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. It's almost like they're really great people. Like, what's the problem with these people? He was confused. He's like, I don't know what to do with them. I know I'm supposed to punish them. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that there's theologies that are out there that say that if Jesus comes into your life, you're not going to suffer. Everything's going to go great. Now, a lot of these churches in the book of Revelation have really good things happening, but the church of Smyrna was a, was a cauldron of suffering. And at some point in your life, you are going to face a time of persecution and suffering in some form or another. And this letter is kind of a, a, a manual on how to live alive in Christ and dead to this world. And it's so ironic that Smyrna has a resonance with the word myrrh because 
I believe if you look at the anointing oil, one of the ingredients was myrrh. Everybody's like, I want the anointing. Everything's going to go perfect. If God's in it, it's going to be blessed. No, that's called heaven. This life is not hell, by the way. There are some people that are like, my life has been one hell. We, we, you need to read the Bible. It is nothing like that. I'm not minimizing your suffering or someone that's living in that statement right now. I want you to know. Suffering is a part of being a follower of Christ. In some ways, it's a part of life. But from that, from that bleeding in the crushing, all of that, God plucks tears of myrrh. And here's the incredible thing about myrrh. If you taste it, it is disgusting. <laughs> I'm saying that with experience, by the way. I have some of it in my office. It is gross. But if you burn it, it smells so beautiful. It was used in the inauguration of kings. It's so fragrant that it's used to cover over the smell of decomposing loved ones. It's so strong, it could, it could cover over or at least make it tolerable to smell the smell of death. And I want this church to be a place that understands that there's a way of suffering for Jesus where God can bring beauty from ashes. Myrrh from marring. Listen to these verses that scream in the face of anyone trying to sell you a gospel that says that you don't have to suffer, and if you are, it's because there's sin in your life or all the other crazy things. I'm not, listen, I'm not contending with anyone. I'm just pointing to the truth. Acts 9.16, God says about the Apostle Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You feel called to ministry? God's going to require to bring myrrh from your life. It's going to suffer. He wants you to frame it properly. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Revelation 12.11, they triumphed over him, who? The devil. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. Why? Because they did not love their lives as much as to shrink back from death. You, my friend, may not be required to give your life for Jesus Christ, but how you're living your life right now will determine whether or not you'll be able to make that decision in the moment. It's not something that supernaturally comes upon you. It is a life and a lifestyle that God may not need that from you or require that from you, but whether or not you would buckle in that hour is in how you are connected to Christ and to his people and to his love and to his purpose and to his values. Matthew 10, 21 to 22, brothers, I, brother will betray brother to death his and, his father, and a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have, have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But to the one who stands firm to the end, they will be saved. How, do we, how in the world do I reconcile these verses with a gospel that says that if I'm not having, if I have problems in my life, I have sin in my life, or if I have problems in my life, and listen, don't get me wrong, you have to calibrate stuff because sometimes problems in our life are we want to blame the devil or we want to say we're being persecuted, but the problem is, is you. For every one finger you point, there are, five, there are four others pointing back at you. 
unless you have six fingers. I almost said, for every one finger pointing, you got five pointing back to you. You might be that person. If you're here, raise your hand. We want to see that extra finger. But think about that, you, you know? My friend used to always say to me, man, you spot it, you got it. Like, enough of the going on and being like, I'm being persecuted. Enough with, like, nursing a grudge. It'll never heal. It's time for us to reframe our relationship with Jesus and just say, this is a part of the deal. And what do I love more? Do I love being comforted? And do I love getting sympathy? Do I love being pitied? Or do I love Jesus? And then I'm going to move forward despite these things. Paul, Pastor Paul said this, but none of these things move me. Jesus moves me. So how do you do that? You do this with Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. It's a mindset change. He says this, in your relationship with others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We need to be like Jesus. Be faithful, he says to them. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crowned. In the city of Smyrna, there was a great martyr. His name was Polycarp. They said, worship the emperor. They begged him. They said, consider your age. Like, we don't want to make you suffer. Worship the enter. Just say a prayer. He said, 86 years I have served him, and he has not once failed me. He refused. And he refused to bow to the gods of his age. Some of us need to stop bowing to the gods of our age. Sometimes it's so much easier to just give way, but he says, be faithful, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. The crowns in the ancient world were literally just made of, this is the Olympics. This was made of just simply types of plants wrapped into a crown and dropped on a throne. In fact, one great Olympian who was buried in the city of Corinth, this is his tombstone, and on the very bottom, on the bottom left is actually the Olympic Games from the city we're talking about, Smyrna. He had won the Olympics in eight places in the world. This was like a Tom Brady of the ancient world. Isn't that crazy? But the Apostle Paul says this. He says, listen, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And he continues and he says, as I bring this down close to a landing here. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That in, is a Hebraism, which basically means Shema, which means you hear what I'm saying, you know what I'm talking about. Get, get in line here and change your behavior. It's not enough to just simply talk about change. Now, it does, change is an instantaneous. In fact, we, we were just talking in the office recently, and Pastor Dylan, I love this phrase, you know that failure is a part of Failure is a part of recovery. Sometimes, you know, you gotta, you got, there's a reason why in baseball you're given four balls or three strikes, which means actually technically there's five chances because I can get two strikes and three balls and still have a chance to win here. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you going in the right direction, which means there's motion, not with your mouth, but with your life and your lifestyle.
And he says, the one who is victorious, this is a play on the word crowns. In fact, the god, the goddess Nike, in Roman terms, this is translated in Latin, the goddess Victoria, victory. He's playing on these words. That this was the god or the goddess that would crown kings, that would crown Olympiads. They, they just believed that that blessing was, was godlike upon them. And he says that if you're victorious, you will not be hurt by the second death. But man, this first death can be very difficult. In fact, this week, last week, my wife and I had to say goodbye to a very precious young girl. My wife babysat her. Her father was our mentor. We replaced him as a youth pastor. He died seven years ago of cancer. And just recently, his daughter, at the age of 34, three was diagnosed with cancer she stopped responding to chemo she got alternative treatment nothing worked and she passed away and while i'm sitting there in this in this service i'm sad it's not like this is someone who was very close to us i'm grieving over it But her husband gets up and shares this story. Says that she's in her last moments of life, she had her, his hand and he was, she was holding it, but her other hand was kind of propped up like this, just barely enough strength that the, the, the ledge of the, the hospital bed would hold it in place. And then she starts throwing his hand off hers. And he, he keeps putting it back in and she keeps throwing it off me. And he's like, what, 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 Raya? And she leans her other hand like this, and she said, God told me to worship him. And she went from this life into the next, letting go of what should be one of the more important things in your life, to putting her attention on the one that was the center of her life. And to the messenger at the church of Smyrna, I think he would say to us here, some of us need to make the shift from pity or saying it could be worse, however it is you trod through your difficulty to embrace the process of myrrh and how it's made in your life and to embrace the church of Smyrna, but to begin to overcome Jesus through praising him. And this is, this is the problem with church these days. We've learned how to praise Jesus when the problem goes away. We have not learned how to praise Jesus in the beginning and the middle of our difficulty. But she would not have been able to do that in that moment had her life not been, which we knew very well, defined by praise. Sometimes the only way out is through. God may not take your difficulty away from your life, but we need to learn how to place our way through it. Amen? Thank you again for being with us today. 
to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you, and God bless.